This is the City Surgery on City Talk 105.9. And a very good afternoon to you. It is City Talk 105.9. Drive time on a Thursday means the legal surgery. Yep, well, it also means the blue room from five and in touch from six, but for now, it means the legal surgery. My name's Mick Coyle, and I guest in the studio, as ever, for a Thursday is Mark Ellis. He is our resident solicitor, and he is from James Murray Solicitors. Mark, great to see you. Hey, Mick, it's great to see you. You're looking fantastic. Uh, are you feeling comfortable in our new chairs? You know, these new chairs, I know it's no expense spared at the Tower. They, they're comfortable. They're aesthetically pleasing on the eye. You're here. I can ask for no more. You know, the BBC, they got Media City. We got some new studio chairs. Mm. And you, and you, I you got a new jumper on as well. Well, there we go. Uh, Mark is here each and every Thursday. He is a solicitor and he's here to answer your legal queries. So uh, if at the moment you've got issues going on in your life, which you need a bit of solicitor's advice on, you can email the show and for no cost, Mark will answer it on the radio. Uh, we always say things like speeding tickets is something we deal with regularly, parking fines, that sort of thing, uh, property issues, family issues, send them in via the email and we'll answer them in a future show here on City Talk 105.9. The email address never changes, surgery at citytalk.fm. That's the email address to send your questions into, surgery at citytalk.fm. If you don't want your name putting on the email or reading out on air, just make that nice and clear. That's absolutely fine. If it's a particularly sensitive issue, we'll remove names from it so you don't uh, get your personal business read out across the airwaves if that's not something that you want to happen. That's absolutely fine. Just send in those uh, questions and we'll get through as many as we can on a future show or even this show. So, so thank you to everybody who sent them in this week. Mark, are you ready to crack on? Come on, let's do it, Mick. I'm, I'm eager. I'm chomping on the bit here. Excellent stuff. Uh, first email comes through uh, anonymously. No worries about that one. It says, Dear City Talk, I was the victim of an assault approximately six months ago and suffered a broken leg. Uh, police and CPS made the decision not to charge the assailant. I would like to find out as much as I can about the assailant with a view to taking civil proceedings against him. I need information in order to contact the land registry and company house in order to find out what, if any, assets he possesses before making a decision as to whether I go ahead. Many thanks. What should this person do in that situation? What are their rights? Mm, well, look, I mean, first of all, from, from a criminal point of view, you, you've rightly commented that the police and the CPS aren't taking any action. OK, well, that's the end of that. You could always ask them to review the uh, the decision, if you wish, and the CPS would consider consider it again, and you're entitled to do that as the victim. I'm assuming you've already done that, uh, and you've exhausted all avenues, and therefore you're thinking about you know, the, the civil side of things. Now, what's uh, interesting about the civil aspect of it, of course, is in a criminal case, the case must be proven beyond reasonable doubt. But in a civil case, it's proven on a balance of probabilities, which is a lower standard of proof. So, look, you might be more successful in the civil court than you than you are potentially in, in criminal proceedings. So you're thinking about uh, the civil action. And you're taking the prudent view as to whether or not this person is a man or woman of straw and therefore is there any merit in, in, in suing them. And I can see where you're coming from. And I guess the starting point is finding out who they are. So why not speak to the Bobby in the case and see if they will tell you who they are and what their address is. If they are not willing to play ball, and if they say, well, we can't really give you that information for whatever reason, then I suspect what you're going to have to do is to write to the chief constable's office and ask for, you know, the evidence in the case, the investigation evidence, which will probably contain all the information you need, and you may have to pay for that. Um, so I think the starting point has to be write to or speak to the Bobby in the case. Get, I'm sure that they would have left their collar number and contact details for, <coughs> contact details for you when you initially made the complaint. Uh, why not speak to them? And you'll probably fine you get it and thereafter you can make the various inquiries that you want to make but you know bear in mind this 
that you're paying for land registry inquiries and company house inquiries, you know, this person may not be registered at company house. You know, they may not have property uh, with the land registry, but they may have a job. So it's things like that that you might not be able to find anything out about uh, this person. And it might ultimately be just a shot in the dark whether you decide to uh, to sue them or not. So think very carefully. It might be worthwhile in asking the, the Crown why they decided there was probably no realistic prospect of conviction or indeed it was not in the public interest. It's a two-tier t- test really for the CPS to decide whether they should proceed. A, is there a realistic prospect of conviction and if so, is it in the public interest? Look, you need to know if, it's, if there was no realistic prospect of conviction, why was that? And the CPS may say to you, you know, they may give a whole, a whole host of reasons and I say that simply really is a peripheral point in my response to you but it may help you in deciding whether or not you think you'll be successful in the county court don't forget you're paying to start the county court proceedings with no guarantee of success and you might lose in the county court so you know you, you really you're thinking about you know very prudently has this person got any 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 uh, means to, to to pay any damages if you win but think about well will i win anyway Okay, uh, thank you for that email, which came through to surgery at citytalk.fm. Next one comes through from from Lee. He says, Dear Mark Ellis, I have been issued with a parking charge notice by post from a company for an alleged offence committed in a shopping complex. He says, I presume it's somewhere here in the northwest. Uh, The notice quotes the time of entry and exit to and from the car park, uh, complete with photos of my vehicle and registration number. The notice does not say what the crime is, except that I have violated the terms and conditions displayed on the signage. My parking stay was 1 hour 53, and I suspect I had outstayed my welcome. Although the notice doesn't say that, the penalty is £90 reduced to 50 if I pay within 14 days of which, due to postage time, only six days remain. Now, uh, this arrived a couple of days ago, this email, Mark, so let's uh, crack on and see if we can help Lee out. Yeah, well, first of all, look, you know, the, the people that are charging you, they've got to mitigate their loss. So really, you know, if you're just a few minutes over your your the time that you've spent there... The issue would be, well, you know, is it justified they charge you £90 when, in fact, you've only been five or ten minutes late and you've already paid X amount? So that's the first thing. They've got to mitigate their position and show a court they've mitigated their loss to be successful completely. Um, The starting point really for you is, well, do you respond to this parking charge notice or not? Because at the moment, all they've got are the the register keeper's details. That's all they've got. They don't know exactly who it was that was driving the motor vehicle at that time. And they've written to you as a register keeper. I presume you're the register keeper. Uh, and therefore, they, they, they will pursue the register keeper. There's a presumption at law that the register keeper of the, uh, was the driver at the time, but nothing more than that. So really, your options are these. You either engage in conversation with them and, uh, and uh, correspondence, and you query that there was, for instance, no um, there was no signage that was that was uh, that you saw, uh, or you or you say, well, you haven't mitigated your loss because I was only there for for you know a short period of time over my allotted period, uh, and therefore it's not reasonable that you demand this sum of money from me. That's option one, and you enter into negotiation or you pay it. I suppose there are two options there really, and the third option is you do absolutely nothing. You sit back, you do nothing at all, and you see if they decide to see you or not in the county court. 
and lots of these cases tend really just to fritter away into the ether and, and uh, never heard of again. Some, I know, do conclude in the county court, and I guess it depends very much on the resolve of the people that, who are pursuing it. Sometimes they think they don't care, they'll go for it, other times they won't bother. Um, there's a very handy website, which it's nothing at all to do with me, I, I haven't compiled it, but Martin Lewis, you know Martin Lewis, don't you? The, uh, the money-saving expert. Mm, yeah. If you go onto his website, I haven't seen it, but a friend and colleague of mine mentioned it to me, and there's a step-by-step guide on that website apparently it's dealing with parking charge notices and the various steps that you can undertake and uh, my colleague who, who utilized it said it was it was a very useful tool indeed so you know have a look at that the options i think will boil down to what i've just said to you uh, either either engage in conversation with them or do nothing at all um, and and see where it takes you from there Uh, There you go, Lee. Thank you for your question and the advice from Mark Ellis, our resident solicitor here on City Talk 105.9's Legal Surgery. If he can't help, he'll point you to the bloke, the nice bloke on the telly who possibly can. Yes, absolutely. We're a team here. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, This one has come through. It says, no names, and uh, you'll appreciate why when I read it out. Dear Legal Surgery, my son wants to leave his abusive and violent wife and also wants to secure custody for his two young children. Uh, His wife is volatile uh, and aggressive. Uh, For example, she once smashed my window where my son left home. Her threats include that she will lie to prevent him from seeing the children if he leaves her, such as claiming he is violent towards her and that he takes drugs all absolutely untrue. To try and protect himself from her lies, he has on few occasions used his mobile phone's voice recorder to record her threats and abuse during frequent aggressive tirades, all this taking place with the children present and my son trying to stop her from upsetting them. What are his rights? Uh, you'll appreciate that once it comes through with, with no names. Uh, that's obviously a, a concerned parent. Yes, of course, and, and and the first thing I can see is that, that, that clearly this is um, mother or father talking on behalf of their son, and, and the starting point is that son wants to leave his his extremely abusive uh, abusive and violent wife. Well, look, the first thing you got to think about is divorce and, and separation. So you know, does that gentleman have uh, grounds for divorce? Well, if he's been married for over twelve months. And uh, if he feels that the marriage is irretrievably broken down, um, could you then get a divorce? The answer is yes. You could cite the wife's behaviour, that she's extremely abusive and violent uh, and uh, that they no longer love each other. So that's that taken care of. And it may well be that he has to issue the divorce petition. Be careful because she could always cross-petition and blame him and the whole thing can be very messy. And on top of that, you've got the finances to sort out. So that's the one thing dealt with. The second thing is, look, securing custody for his two young children. I hear what you say about the relationship, um, and clearly from what you're saying, this lady is volatile, angry and aggressive, and I don't dispute that for one second. But there are always, of course, two sides to every story. And a court, if it went that far, would have to listen to both sides of the case and, and listen to the evidence very carefully and make a judgment call as to what was in the best interest of the children because ultimately that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about scoring points off the other. We're not talking about you know whether or not someone has assaulted someone or is extremely rude and abusive. We're talking about you know what's in the children's best interest. So as far as what are his rights, well, there is a presumption that he is entitled to have his, to see his children and to have time with his children. And more often than not, what tends to happen if the children are particularly young, there is that presumption, it's nothing more than a presumption, but there is that presumption that the children will be with mum, certainly in their formative years. Now, if you're looking to reverse that, and you're saying, well, actually, it's for the welfare of the children, that's when the court, when the family court is dealing with applications for residence, and for contact, that's what we're talking about here. You're, I think you're hinting at the fact that he might want to take his two young children. 
um, the, the, the welfare checklist comes in, into being and the court, a family proceedings court, would pay a great attention to, to, to that checklist because right at the top of that checklist is this question, you know, what is in the best interest of the children? Now they will, the court would guard against those children uh, losing contact with the other parent you know that they clearly have you know strong ties with with you and 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 with their dad um and you know would a move to another property might that affect their links with the other side of the family um what's in their best interest that would be the overriding principle in all of this now if it comes down to dad saying well mum is extremely violent and abusive can he cite that in court well of course he can especially if it's taking place in front of the children um, and a judge would have to make a, a call on it, considering the evidence. And, and you talk about, in your in your email to us, evidence, in essence, voicemail or, or mobile phone voice recording messages and threats and abuse. Can that be used? Of course it can be used. It'll need someone to exhibit it, the person who, who's, who's used it. And it could potentially be played in the family proceedings court when dealing with applications for residence or contact or whatever it may be. So... You know, that's the starting point. When you say, what are his rights? Well, he's got a presumption to see his children. If he wants residence, and if residence is in dispute, if mother is saying, no, the children are coming with me, what are his rights then? Well, his right, if he wishes, is to go to the family proceedings court, excuse me, court, nearly cough them, family proceedings court, and to say to a judge in an application, I would like to have residence of my children, and this is the reason why the welfare of my children is paramount and the mother's behaviour is completely inappropriate and it's jeopardising the welfare of the children. It's City Talk 105.9. We've got Mark Ellis with us on the show uh, this afternoon. He's taking your questions, and you can email your questions for next week's show from at any point in the next 24 hours or the next seven days, in fact, surgery at citytalk.fm. If you've got a question and you want our solicitor's advice, at surgery at citytalk.fm. M. Uh, Mark Ellis, my ex-wife and I have been separated for over four years and divorced for two. She's not lived in the property for around 18 months now, but will not agree to sell. The property remains empty. I have already altered the deed to tenants in common. We have a 50-50 custody of our daughter, which is mutually arranged. Can you help it at all? Yeah, it's very simple. You make an application for an order for sale of the property if she's not willing to uh, to buy you out. I mean, that's always an option, isn't it, to, to, to buy each other out. And it sounds to me, from everything you've said, that the divorce has been sorted out and um, the custody of the child or the daughter has been, has been sorted. And, it, and I see that you've, you've changed very prudently the co-ownership of that property from joint tenants to tenants in common. This is something that regularly is mentioned on this show. Uh, and people say, oh, hang on a minute, um, tenants, we co-own the property. Well, as you will know, uh, listener, you know, you co-own the property in one of two ways. Either as a joint tenant, where the law sees two people as one, and therefore if one were to die, that the, the, their share of the property, you wouldn't need a will or anything. The property automatically transfers to that other person because, of course, the law still sees that that person there, nothing's changed. Where you have tenants in common, you have two people with their own identifiable percentage of the ownership. So in this case, it sounds like it's 50-50. And if that person dies, that 50% does not automatically transfer to the, the survivor. It goes via the terms of the will or the intestacy rules. If you haven't, uh, if you don't have a will, then your property goes via the intestacy rules to the people who've survived you, your family members, etc. Um, so there we go. Um, and I'm just trying to find the... 
Yes, the property remains empty. So there we go. So lost my thread, Mick. Well, I think we know, got the gist. I'm still battling on here. Uh, that's, good. that's the main thing. Uh, no. So so I've not finished now. Oh, right, no, no, there was something I've, else, I lost right. my thread, yeah. Uh, anyway, so look, the issue is this, really. Um, can you make an order for sale? Can you apply for an order for sale? Of course you can. You can, uh, if if the, the finances haven't been sorted out, the one option really for, uh, for you is to go back to the court that dealt with the divorce and to make an application for an order for sale. And with that order for sale, you simply, say to the county court, look, I want the finances sorted out as well. We haven't done that, we haven't sorted that out, and we need something clarifying, and you can make that application. Now, what that will do, of course, ultimately, is bring to your ex-wife the factor that you need this sorting out, and which may galvanise her to make an offer, or indeed, ultimately, the court could potentially make that order. Okay, uh, time for one more question, Mark Ellis, on this week's legal surgery. Dear City Talk, after resigning and claiming constructive dismissal, my former employer offered a settlement. The settlement was subject to a compromise agreement with confidentiality undertakings. Uh, is it reasonable to expect a fair settlement without having to make a compromise agreement with confidentiality undertakings? What are my rights on this? I'd rather not give mine or my company's name. No, that's completely understandable. Look, what a compromise agreement is all about is exactly that. You know, it, it, it does exactly what it says on the tin. It's a compromise uh, and it's there between the two of you to ensure that litigation doesn't flow as a consequence of your constructive dismissal. It means that you're going to receive a package of compensation and it means that neither you nor your employer will have to end up in, a, in an industrial tribunal giving evidence on oath as to what has happened, etc., and allowing a tribunal to make a determination whether or not you have been dismissed constructively and therefore you're entitled to damages, and if so, how much damages are you going to get? So that's the, you know, the ultimate thing we're talking about here um confidentiality undertakings okay do they have to be part of that confidentiality agreement or that compromise agreement the answer to that is no they don't have to be at all you're talking about negotiation what your employer is trying to do is to protect their position they don't want you trotting down to the local newspaper and telling everyone at the newspaper that you've been sacked uh, and therefore it was unfair etc etc and they're trying to guard against it can you negotiate that, uh, that 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 agreement can you say well i'm not signing that because i'm not happy with it of course you can whether they agree to that is another thing altogether. They may say, well, we're not going to come to the negotiating table then if you're not prepared to agree to that particular agreement. But it's all about negotiation and compromise. Can they insist you sign that document? No. If you don't sign the document, what will flow as a consequence? Well, you're not going to get a, a compromise agreement, you're not going to get compensation, and therefore you may have to go to the industrial tribunal in order for them to make a judgment call. So really, the issue really is this. Do you think it's going to have any massive effect on you? Do you think that you're desperate to go and sell your story or tell the story to the local rag? And if so, would the, would the local rag be really keen to, to talk about it? And if you think, well, it's something and nothing, probably not, then what damage is it going to cause? Have a think along those lines. Okay. Okay, thank you for the person who emailed that story and who would rather not give their or their company's name for reasons which are quite clear from the question. Uh, Mark, with that, we are out of time. Thank you for your time this week. My pleasure. My uh, pleasure. Nice to see a uh, New glasses Mark is wearing new as glasses, well this yeah. week. The eyes are fading now. Is that right? Well, you know, it's... Well, all the, I all thought the... you were going for New Year, New Look. No, I'm not, Mick. Uh, but, you know, all the decent people wear glasses. That's what I've been Well, told. this is absolutely true. 
uh, and it has a certain sex appeal. And I've, I've seen those people <laughs> chasing you out of the tower. Mark Ellis from James Murray Solicitors back next week on The Legal Surgery. If you've got a question for him, send it in on the email, surgery at citytalk.fm. at surgery at citytalk.fm. Speaking of uh, advice, Citizens Advice are on Pete Price's show tonight from 10. So a whole host of questions uh, I'm sure will be answered as part of Price's show tonight from 10. Citizens Advice, uh, based here in Liverpool, in the studio with Pete Price, taking your calls as well. That's happening tonight on City Talk. The Legal Surgery back next Thursday. News and Sport next. This is the City Surgery on City Talk 105.9.